0: من على سيدنا محمد Kulubi, Wadaiha, Wafiatil Abedani, Washifa, Nudit of Sari, Wadia, Wada Ali, wa was Sahi, was selling Slimah, Allah Mosalli, Salat and Kamela, was selling Salam and Tamman, Allah Sayyidina Muhammad, and Lady Tahalu be el Ocot, what ten Ferijubi Kurup, what took Babi Hawa, Age, what Tunaru, Ibu Hustun Khawatim, where you test the Ramam will be Wajid Kareem, while wa sahbihi wa Sahi, he Today we get to talk about, and Allah has honored us to be able to speak today about the most important issue. Uh, uh, and that is what happens after we pass away. Uh, and a lot of people start thinking about this when things go sour in their life. And this issue of what happens after we die is one of the greatest sources of relief uh, in life. There's always going to be a time where your tribulations get so bad, and your situation gets so bad that all you care about is to simply ask yourself, is to say to yourself, when am I going to leave this ad dunya? The khidafats between people And the differences and the, and the burdens That come upon people Can get so bad That a person would desire and wish As the Prophet الله said There will come a time When people wish That they were beneath the ground But we don't wish for this In a morbid sense But what we actually believe Is that what's going to come Is way better Is far greater than this Hayat dunya. And it doesn't require That a person's life is bad That he would want To be in the afterlife And it doesn't mean He wants death either Right? It doesn't in the sense that I, I want to kill myself or something No, this is not what we're talking about What we're talking about, what is to come Is greater, even for a life That's really good in this life There's a famous story of the great Syrian scholar Who who spoke out Against his ruler And he ended up getting forced out His name is Al-Izz Ibn al Salam He's called Sultan Al-Ulama Al-Izz Ibn al Salam And he was, it is saying from the uh, Followers of Al-Mursi Abu al-Abbas who is the follower of Abu al-Hassan al-Shadhili and Izz ibn Abdul Salam he was rich he was a scholar he was dressed in all white one day going to one day going to the masjid and he rode on a horse which was an expensive horse and a man came to him a homeless man and he said are you the ones in your hadith of the of your prophet you say that this dunya here is The dunya uh, is your paradise uh, Sorry, the paradise of the non-believer And the prison of the believer And he said yes We do say that hadith We have a hadith The Prophet ﷺ said This al dunya is the prison of the kafir Is the jannah of the kafir And it is the sijin of the It's So prison of the believer Because we have limits right? And kafir does not have these limits He can observe it And then what is to come is worse So he said then look at yourself How is this a prison for you When you're this rich And you're dressed like this And all these people love you And you're riding this wonderful horse And then look at me I'm homeless I'm poor I'm impoverished It is said He says because Relatively speaking What is to come for me Okay This is a prison And relative to speaking What is to come for you This is paradise relative to the, to, to, the, to the punishment that you're going to have for what you hold. And I believe in the story, the man really took, took that, believed in it, and he ended up uh, entering Islam. Okay? Now, we do have to point that in that statement, there's some mubalagha, some sort of exaggeration, and maybe persuasive approach where you, nobody can say that they're going to paradise or not, and nobody can say anyone's going to Jahannam or not. But point being, what happens in Akhira is far greater for a mu'min than no matter how wealthy and he, he is to do here. All of our ni'mah is going to have some limits. The best food you have is still going to have a point where you don't want to eat it anymore. So even the greatest of ni'mah here in this life, it has built into it that you get bored of it. Or it's built into it that uh, there is a side effect to it. Okay, side effects being, for example, Yeah, you you get sick you get gout from too much meat alright there's always a side effect for some nama that eventually you get you become so accustomed to it that it's not something that you enjoy anymore that's the nature of most blessings unless you remind yourself to be grateful everything gets old you can marry the best person in the world but keep in mind one day he or she is going to get old they're not going to look the way they look now they're not going to be who they are right now okay so the first thing that happens to a mu'min is that if you live your life right, then the end of life becomes the best phase of life. Okay? When, you, when you live right, the end of life becomes either a purification or a foreshadowing of your, your, your reward. And where is the reward? It's the reward of people honoring you. The reward of somebody who lived well is that eventually people will honor him in this life. And how does Allah Ta'ala honor somebody at the end of their life? Very simply, through the youth, through his kids, through his grandkids. They all respect him. They ask his dua. They view him as someone near to Allah Ta'ala. So that's how Allah Ta'ala offers you the message that you are near to him. Everyone else starts viewing you that way. The, the youth start coming to, to, to the elders. They go to the elders and they ask for his dua. They go to the elder and they believe that the barakah or the, the rida of the grandfather or the whatever, is, is the rida of Allah, right? That if, if my father's pleased with me, then, then Allah's pleased with me. So what is that telling you? This is Allah's way of communicating to Abd, his pleasure with him. And Allah's way of honoring Abd is to make him older so that everyone respects him, right? So this stuff, this is the first point of Allah's reward for somebody in this life is as they get older. In every other phase, in every other profession, every other job, every other thing, it has an end that's very premature. So let's take pro athletes. By the time they're 40, they're finished, right? Maximum, they're going to go to 45 if they're amazing. Nothing that's going to come afterwards is going to equate, equal the thrill of their championships in their previous uh, phase of their career. Like, it's never going to come close. And they ha- that's one of the hardest things that athletes have to live with. That's why they have to keep busy doing business, right? Like... Uh, you know, uh, doing ads, opening restaurants. They have to keep busy. But nonetheless, still, it will never equate the moment of happiness that they had when they won a championship. So you're actually set up for failure. Right? You're set up that the rest of your life is never going to be equivalent to the previous life. If you talk to businessmen, even business is an exhausting thing. There's going to come a point, 15, 16, 70 years old, you don't have the energy anymore to keep up. You're going to go downhill. Except for spirituality spirituality is it's a phase of life or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a a matter where the 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 greatest moments is always towards the end and the greatest unveilings for someone who's devoted their life to this happens toward the end of their life it happens more as you move on in life and Allah ta'ala honors these individuals more as they move on in life so really when we talk about Akhirah, we should really realize that it begins in this life. That old age is the first reflection of a person's state in the Akhirah. As Allah's Prophet said, ما A person is resurrected upon how he dies. So how does that person die? Upon, he, he dies upon taqwa, upon salah, upon ibadah, upon dua, upon the mu'mineen uh, 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 approving of... We recognize the approval. The approval of the fuqaha of us is extremely important. If you don't have fuqaha that approve of you, then where's your senate? Very loosely speaking, I mean, that the things that you are saying in general, of course no one can monitor every specific thing that anyone says. Quran Surah فَوْقَ كُلِّ Above everyone who has knowledge is someone who has more knowledge. Okay? So this idea that you always refer back, you always, no matter what age a person is, they always, I, there's uh, in Yemen, Shiyukh that I heard of, In their 60s, they go to attend shiyukh, to other teachers. Even if they attend to someone younger than them. And it's said in the books of Hadith, um, about Rijal al-Hadith, that you do not become a true scholar until you sit with people who are older than you, equal to you, and younger than you. Why? Because that shows that you value the knowledge more than your ego. There's going to come a time where there's nobody older than you anymore. You still sit with those younger than you. Why? Those younger fuqaha, they may be more sharp than you. There is something called and ibn, Ab- ibn Umar talks about this. At the end of Ibn Umar's life, what would he do? He would send everyone to Sayyid ibn Musayyib. Ibn Umar, go to Sayyid ibn Musayyib. Get your fatwa from Sayyid ibn Musayyib. He's not even a Sahabi. Here's a great, great Sahabi. He's saying, go get your ruling from Sayyid ibn Musayyib. Ask Sayyid ibn Why? He's young, he's energetic, he's studying. Abdullah ibn Umar, he's lived a long life. He went blind at the end of his life, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I'm pretty sure he went blind at the end of his life. A lot of the Arabs went blind from the amount of dates. This is one of the theories that they ate so much sugar, dates, and that's one of the things that causes a type of diabetes that results in blindness. That he was busy preparing for his Akhirah and they stopped reviewing their knowledge. This happens to a lot of people. So they go sit with somebody else. All right. I, I saw a man, he had a white beard. This man must have been close to 80 years old. And he used to sit in all the gatherings of the young pups coming up. Pups, not even white hair in their beards. And he sits in their gatherings. Why? Because they're sharp. They're looking for the truth at okay. all. So you, you're never going to stop sitting with, with those who are uh, uh, busy with knowledge so that we can actually, the believer to a believer is like a mirror. And anyone who stops is going to go astray. If you stop, you're going to go astray. Guaranteed. The ulama of Syria, I read one time after Jammah, they have a lunch together and they sit together. This is what keeps them all on the same wavelength. So nobody goes off, develops an idea in his head. Okay? You stay on the same wavelength. So the first, after uh, uh, in old age, is your first reflection of a person's state. A person who is upon taqwa in old age this is one of the best things. So much so the Prophet wasallam said, with every white hair, Sin is erased and a good deed is replaced for him until he becomes completely Shayba. Complete Shayba, which means all fully white beard and fully white hair. Right, then Allah Ta'ala, the angels pronounce him, he is Allah's um, after eighty years old, they call them Allah's prisoners on the earth. Okay. And they say when he comes completely white haired, then everything he does is forgiven. They a hadith. Of course, we don't say that the sharia is not applicable to them. Sharia is always applicable. But they're forgiven. Of all their sins and everything they do, will consider hasanat. So that's the age. And I saw some men that were amazing. And that's why we go to Masajid. So you can see where you're going in life. There is a man, he was an Egyptian man. Every day at the same hour, he'd come out of the bus stop and he'd spend the whole day, dhuhr, to Asr, to Maghrib, in the masjid. And then he'd go home after Salat maghrib So one day I figured, let me talk to this man. And back in those days, he had a Walkman and he had earbuds. This was a regular man. He was a regular Egyptian man, uh, not a scholar, not a student of knowledge even. So I said, what's your status? He said, Halas, we lived life. I'm, I'm retired. Had nothing to do except go to the masjid. And so he goes down every day. He prays Fajr in the masjid, comes back, sleeps again, wakes up, has breakfast with his wife, Runs some errands, then he's off. He spends from Dhuhr to Asr to Maghrib in the Masjid, and then uh, and this is the big central mosque, which is exciting. This filled with people, has a restaurant in it, has a bookstore, a library, has everything in it, has classes, and then Aisha he prays in his local mosque. This is routine, and he listens to the Quran on his headphones, and he re- he reads Quran half the time. He sits and he chit chats with the with the janitors half the time, but that's how he lived the end of his life. And that's how you have to look for the shiyukh in the masajid who are at the end of their life and Allah has blessed them with taqwa because don't think this is a given. You, I've also seen the opposite too. You've all seen the opposite of people. He's like extremely involved in ibadah, in deen at a certain phase of life and then it peters out and it's scary. Why did he peter out like this? Why did this person sort of phase out? Okay. It happens. A situation, a divorce. We know a guy disappeared for 10 years. Why did he disappear? A divorce. Knocked him out. Knocked him on his keister. Did not, was not involved in anything okay, for, about, for a good decade. Took about 15 years to get back on track. You never want this to happen. You want stability in your relationship with Allah. Now, well, here's one of the best things is when the righteous person is on their deathbed and Allah Ta'ala will unveil for them a lot of the unseen. When a righteous person is on their deathbed, a lot of stories come that they're seeing things of the afterlife. They're seeing it with their heart. They don't know if they're seeing it with their heart or their eyes at this point. And it's written in the books that the, the heart may see something, but, if, but the eye also can see it at the same time. It'd be, so animals, they see the ghaib. So animals see angels with their eyes. We don't see them with our eyes, but we can see them with our heart. But these unveilings happen to people on their deathbeds to the point that they can testify that they're seeing Mala'ika, that they're seeing Anbiya, welcoming them, that they're seeing people that they used to know from the salihin And an example from one of the Ulama, Isham, was dying, great noble Alim, he was dying, he was on his deathbed. His sister used to always visit them Tuesday, alright, take care of them. So he says to his son, he said, look, call your aunt, tell her, not to be upset, but don't come Tuesday. I have special guests coming on Tuesday. And then he told his son, clean up the whole house and, and, and put white sheets out. They like whiteness, right? So covered, covered the couches in white, dressed him up in white and sit him up on the bed. And then he said, no, he waited and waited and the son said nobody came. And then all of a sudden, he hears his father, sallallahu alayhi wa speaking in the room, shouting, and talking and talking and talking then quiet then he called out for his son he said alright let we could take this clothes off now I'll tell your sister to come so his son said nobody came so he said son don't think I'm crazy I haven't lost my mind and he had to prove to him he didn't lose his mind by telling him the date, the time, what happened, everything that happened, to prove to him that he didn't lose his mind. He said, what happened was, I had received last night okay, a, a vision in which Allah and, his, and the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi and the four Khalifas will visit me before my death. And he was seeing this in the wake. That's why, don't think of Akhirah as just something that happens after you die, it really begins in this life. we are told these narratives, we believe them. These are big hadith and fiqh scholars of ulama Isham and Egypt, and many every land of the Muslims will have this. Every single land of the Muslims will have stories like this. And of England, where there are pious people who have been there for ages, longer than in America. And soon, inshallah, here too, we'll have people who are people of serious taqwa and devotion to Allah Ta'ala that have these types of karamat at the end of time. Yes.
1: Somebody said in the chat, subhanallah, he said, his aunt, when her father was passing away in those moments of death, he said to his wife, look, Habib Ahmed Mashur Al-Hadad, is here. Subhanallah. He's helping me recite the kalimat.
0: Subhanallah. Shaykh Muhammad Mitwal, Ryan just said, uh, a person commented on one of the other platforms that someone said the same exact thing, that Habib Ahmad Shul Haddad came to him to help him recite the kalima, which is La ilaha illallah, before you die. You want to die upon saying La ilaha illallah. But as a fiqh matter, you should never tell a dying person to say La ilaha illallah because they may actually be tongue-tied, they may be tired, and you may think that they can't say it because they're like cursed or something, which they're not. they may not be, but... There was a, a, a Sheikh Muhammad al Sharawi, the most famous preacher of the last century from the Arabs. On his deathbed, he said he received a visitation from Sayyidina Al Hussein, right? And it's known who who's buried in Egypt, Sayyidna Hussein, right? So he said he he said it is an honor for you to visit us upon our deathbed, Subhanallah, and give us the kalima. So what we're doing in sacrificing and being. Uh, you know, people who are trying to practice this deen regardless of what society is telling us, that's where our reward is going to be. And for the Kibar al awliya they have that way before their moment of death. Way before their moment of death. Many, many, as Sayyidina Ali says, the unseen becomes as if it's seen for them. So, But after someone passes away, what happens, the, the actual act of passing away is that Malik al-Mawt, Israel, as we know he's taken your soul. But that taking of the soul, it could be something painful, or it could be something extremely painful. But everybody is going to sense a little bit of a hardship to it. Even the Prophet ﷺ said, the has sakarat, which is an ex- extreme uh, anxiety. Why? If I came up to you and I said, I'm going to pull something, a tooth out of your, your mouth, and you had to lay back, and you see like a hand going into your mouth, you're, no matter what you, how many times you've done it before, you're going to be uncomfortable. It's not a comforting thing. Imagine now someone's coming to take your soul out of your body. Firstly, it's something you've never done before. You have to think about it this way. Even if something's great, if, if you've never done it before, your nervous system will not accept you to just go through it. Your nervous system's going to be like nervous. Even the best things, the best success, when you succeed... When you're on the last step right before you succeed at something, you're nervous because you've never done it before. Your nervous system will not accept for you to just go do it. It's going to be shaking. If you get into a fight for the first time, even if it's a little pushing match or a shouting match with a stranger on the street, it's not that your, your mind doesn't know what to do. You might know what to do, but your nervous system is kicking in. And this, why do you think any, is any different when a person dies? When someone's, when you're, imagine you seeing an angel, you, first you've never seen it before, in your whole life. So that's a, one scary thing. The idea of traversing, we talk about it every day. We recite Quran about it every day. We're going to traverse into another abode. But the moment it happens, we, we don't know how we're going to feel. So we could talk a good game about it, but every single one of us will feel a little bit of anxiety. And that's what the sakarat al-Mawt is. But for the pious, it's short. It's small like a doctor's visit where he's going to pull something out of your body, right? You're you're upset for about a very small period of time and then all of a sudden it's relief. But for the fasiq, and this is why you have to leave off attachments to sins, your soul is stuck to your body. Think about it. Prophet sallallahu alaihi وسلم said, it's like cotton that's stuck into its plant. When you rip cotton out, this is not a it's not a nice plucking Motion, you're tearing and you're tearing and you're tearing away and you've got to get every single piece of cotton. So the Prophet ﷺ gave that analogy to realize that sins will result in a really vicious attachment where medic and has got to take that soul out of your body. And so Ghazali says that dying never speak because it's so painful that they can't speak. And that's why they can't explain to us what it's like. So we can see the righteous how they die And we can know that yes We know by textbook that there's some anxiety But all we saw was good And then the unrighteous when they die so, SubhanAllah I remember one narration From some people in the community They A woman died Allahu alam what the status of this woman was They said They were doing the ghusl They couldn't even look at her face They had to cover it It was so uh, 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 Distorted and darkened that they feared for her like they feared that she's in punishment they it was it was like shaken up for days afterwards because usually we hear the stories of the righteous right but you you also have the negative you can't have one side without the other and this one was really bad they had to literally cover her face and they just washed it over a sheet they washed her face over a sheet for the because it was that bad right and it wasn't like it was blood because it was blood there, it would be blood like everywhere, right? If blood had gone up, up in the face, or it burst there would have been that effect everywhere else, but it was it was just like in the face. It was a really bad sight. Another group of brothers out of England told a story about a man who died. Every time they would dig a ditch for the man, they'd find a snake. Every time they'd dig the, the burial for the man, they'd find a snake. And he was from the local community. They knew him. They knew he was not great, but they didn't know it was this bad. They want, they dug another one, snake. Third one, snake. Until they just said, we can't do this. Let's wait for the shaykh. They waited for the shaykh. The shaykh went with them, and he said, we're just going to dig him very quickly, put him, uh, put him in, right, and, and bury him. And subhanAllah. Contrast that, there's a story about Medina al-Munawwara, where they were digging to expand the masjid in the 90s. As they, were, they had the cranes pulling out the, 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 the earth, they hit metal. They looked, they went out, they dug. They thought maybe they hit it was like some kind of a, a box or something. They dug, dug, dug. They found a the soldier in an ancient military uniform with his skin supple and his, his injury bleeding ancient military uniforms, like chain mail and everything. This stuff is real, subhanAllah. So, the materialists and the atheists, what kind of life do they want us to live? Right? They have nothing. You're live in an Islamic community for a few weeks, a few months, you're going to see that we live in a, a, a vast world, extremely vast, with a great purpose and a great direction. We not We're not... We're not clueless about where we're going. We know where we're going. We know how to get there, and we've seen other people go there. That's why you have to. That's why the mental health of a mu'min, it should be. Now, setting aside that it's very possible for people just simply have chemical imbalances. We believe in that 110 percent. Happened in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu on Okay, and it happens in every era, in every generation. But in general, we know where we're going. So once the soul comes out, what happens? It roams around, and it. Flies in the sky And there is Some statements That it goes straight up To the throne of Allah And it prostrates And then it comes back down To this earth And it awaits to be buried And that's why We should hasten the burial Prophet said Hasten the burial Either is someone bad And you rid yourself of him Or it's somebody good And so send him to his paradise Because your grave is going to be A small piece of paradise Otherwise the soul Is just waiting and hovering around the body, right, until they get buried. Go and ask anybody, if you've ever seen someone who, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a burial, there's always someone who's employed in the burial business. We have a couple of uh, people here. They're in the burial business, right? Their job is, uh, is to bury people. Okay, that's how they earn their money. You go to these people and they have uh, the, the funeral homes. Everyone in this funeral home, Muslim, not Muslim, they all know that there's something going on with these bodies. Because one, my friend, Muslim friend, he works in the burial home now, they have to share burial homes. So the Muslim burial home, like the temporary, like just temporarily where the body is and where he does his paperwork, etc, it's shared space, right? He said when he got there, he was freaking out the first time. There are windows opening, breezes coming in, you know, voices. He's freaking out. And the non-believers, who, they don't even believe in this stuff, they said, oh, this happens all the time, right? The dead. They, they call it ghosts, right? Well, we know what it is, is that buried per- that soul is hovering over its body until it's buried. Some of these people, they don't have the same fiqh we have in deen, in Islam. They keep the dead person there for like weeks. Weeks! And they do stuff to their body, right? To make it look presentable for a week a or whatever it's called. So even they are testifying, okay, so that nobody says, oh, this is just all your stories. No, even non-believers will testify that stuff is going on, right, until this person gets buried. As long as that body's here, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. And it's not weird as in like dangerous. It's just like you feel like someone's passing you by. You feel that there's some kind of, you hear a voice, blah, blah, blah. So that, that's because the soul is hovering over the body. Okay. And that soul hovering over the body uh, will is, is to it do them a favor, bury them quickly. We bury except after Maghrib. We don't bury after Maghrib. Firstly, you can't see. Secondly, and it's never worthy to put electricity in a graveyard. Like for, for what? So they don't do that. But secondly, the Prophet ﷺ also didn't like us to bring torches. Back in the old days, they had to bring a torch. Walk around at night with a torch. And he said to the people, don't bring these torches into the graveyard, for these people are fleeing the fire. They're trying to get away from the fire, so don't even bring a torch for seeing in a graveyard. So you never bring a torch, and we never bury after Maghrib. So you're going to be buried before the next Maghrib. 24 hours, five prayers shouldn't pass, and there's, of course, some exceptions as someone who dies far away. Let's say someone dies on a journey, then you're going to bring the body back. Okay? So that's an exception. It is also said that where you die, that is the the earth from which you were created. It's a saying, right? I don't know the authenticity of it, but it is a saying that where you die, that you were created from that earth. So you die in Italy, you were created from that earth, okay? Uh, You die in Egypt, you were created from that earth. You die in North America, you were created from that earth. I mean, not that it makes much of a difference. This is an interesting fact. That's all it is, right? Nothing more, nothing less. And if it's not true, it doesn't make a difference. But it's an interesting fact. So, people took honor of that, that so many Sahaba died in Kufa, for example. So many Sahaba died in Syria. So many Sahaba died in Egypt. So they take honor of that. But it's just an interesting little fact. When you bury a person, and you have to worry that you could be concerned that there's one matter that's still left that could harm them, if they but if it doesn't if you don't do it in this life which is namely pay off their debts and that if their inheritance is not distributed properly this will be a remaining sin for them so debts why is there a debt? why is a debt an issue it's a debt because money is always linked to hearts of people al mal al ruh money is always linked right to people's hearts they're going to it's a type of oppression that you owed me money. So, so money related matters is still hanging in the balance. What else is hanging in the balance but it can be done afterwards, which is things that the person had, to, had never done. And you could do them on their behalf, such as and right? umrah. Whether or not the person didn't do it sinfully or otherwise, that can be done for a Muslim after their death. But debt is the main thing, that the person will never experience peace in their grave until debts paid, and there's an amazing story that happened in Saudi Arabia. L- listen how how specific this issue is. How specific is this issue of debt? A man he had a, a number of kids and he had a business, and there was a local uh, chicken um, seller uh, outside of um, uh, in, in the town. It's local. They would always order chicken from this man. And anyone who knows Saudi or in Saudi, you get chicken and rice all the time. It's like a common. A a, a rotisserie chicken, and rice, and some salad. Well, this guy was such an uh, always ordering from this people, that he was always ordering from them that they would actually they wouldn't come back for the silverware. They would actually provide him silverware, actual silverware, right? Like uh, metal trays, etc., etc. So the man dies. He comes back to his kid in a dream. And he says to one of his sons, he said, everything is fine except between me and my grave opening up is the restaurant's silverware. It's not our silverware, and yet it stayed in our house for a long time afterwards. It's like when someone dies, you're busy with the death, right? The last thing you're going to be busy with is, did he borrow this crock pot? Did he borrow this pan? Did he borrow this? Like how many, how many homes of you or you have in your home, you have other people's pans? In your home. It happens all the time, right? I mean, I've had I had a bowl, in, we've had a bowl in our house 10 years. We don't know whose bowl this is, right? And people, pretty much people don't care. But this man died, and the silverware of the restaurant was still there. They had never returned it. Because that's the last thing on your mind, is to return the little silverware from the shop down the road. And yet, it mattered in the akhirah And so this man, he came to his son in a dream, he said, go to this drawer... There is a silverware that belongs to that restaurant. right? Uh, it's, on my, it's on my account on the Day of Judgment. It's still hanging over me. Go return it. So he returned it. So that's how, how serious it is, the issue of making sure you don't owe people anything. And you can owe people something, you can owe Allah. You can owe Allah a hajj that you never did. It's a debt that you owe. Okay? Things like this. So, furthermore, there's a hadith about how the dua for rahmah for the deceased, comes in the form of lights and is served on bowls for the people in their graves. And when they ask, where is this rahmah coming from? They say, it's the dua of so-and-so. And it's dua of so-and-so. Now if you ever wonder, well, why do, we, why do we need to say, may Allah have mercy upon people who are so righteous, like Salahuddin Ayyubi, Imam al-Bukhari. Like, these people are, they're with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they're who we, they are. We all know who they are. So why is it that we need to say Rahimahullah upon them? Because the answer is you never know that on the in the resurrection, you may see them on the resurrection, and you may have a problem at that time, and they will owe you a debt. A debt of gratitude. Right? Habib Almir so we say you never know who's going to intercede for who on the day of judgment. You never know. So your constant dua for someone of the past that you love, you're gonna meet that person on the day of resurrection. He, you may be in a not good state, he's in a very good state. You may be in a good state, he's in a good state, but you, don't, you may have a relative who is in a bad state. Then you need the Shafa'ah of somebody. Come do Shafa'ah for my brother. Uh, my shafa is not accepted. Your are Imam al-Bukhari, your Shafa'ah may be accepted. Okay? Of course the Prophet is the main Shafia. When we say the intercession of the Prophet, that's the first intercession that shifts the entirety of judgment from justice to mercy. Then within that, there are shafi'ahs within uh, the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Distributed. lesser so. That no one is a greater intercessor than the Prophet. Now someone may be asking, what is the point of intercession and shafah? <laughs> is that um, a person may be, have so many sins that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will not even look at them. And will not even let them talk to him. That's how bad their sins are. But out of mercy... He will allow someone else to talk to him. And that happens too in this world where someone is in so much trouble. You can be in so much trouble with your mom, she won't even talk to you. But she will tell your brother, all right, go talk to him. Go bring him this plate of food. I'm not talking to him, but you go give him. So what is that? That's the, left, that the last bit of mercy she has for you that she'll send you somebody else to do that. Right? And of course, there's no true analogy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but that's the analogy of what intercession is, that it is Allah's mercy. Shafa'ah is Allah's mercy, but you're not getting it directly from Him because of the things that we may have done. We won't get the Shafa'ah directly from Allah. We'll get it through an intermediary, because if you get forgiveness directly from Allah, that's a wonderful thing. That's a gift. That means He's pleased with you, etc. So, this is the first thing that ha- this is the first thing that happens. Uh, When a person is uh, being put down into the grave Is that you have to look at their financial status Because it's something that will still hang over them If they owed owed zakat al-fitr or zakat al-mad You have to pay it out also from their inheritance And if their inheritance will Was something that was not uh, contrary to the sharia You don't practice it So not everything that the person leaves afterwards Okay, A man says in my will because when you write a will, you write your, the wealth that you have, then the children and the family members that you have. Then you write if you have any debts remaining, or, and then you write a bequest. A bequest being uh, you get uh, one-third of your wealth to a non-inheritor. And then you could write something else. You can write your last testament to your kids. Your last testament, uh, 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 like, a, like a, um, a message. You can write a message to all of the people that you leave behind. It's usually some kind of a nasiha, take care of so-and-so, so-and-so's weak. This person in our family, you know, is, is, needs to be taken care of. It's, it's like an advice, a last statement that you're saying to your kids. Nothing in that is binding. You have to realize that. Nothing in it is binding. Now, a man can't be dying on his deathbed, for example. All right, this is the situation. And, oh, wife, do not ever marry another man after me so that we could be married in Jannah non-binding it's just words it's a nice statement uh of emotions but it's not binding none of that is binding okay just to keep that in mind so once a person is buried now and his financial matters should be taken care of right away prophet sallallahu alaihi said none of you should if you have money you have to have a will none of prophesy said none of none of you should sleep without his will okay just in case you never know when someone's going to die he then says That after the janazah, the Sahaba said it is recommended to stay next to the grave after the burial for the amount of time that it takes to milk a goat. Who said this? Hamar ibn al-As. And other Sahaba have sayings about this. Stay a little bit. Why are you staying a little bit? Everyone's going to leave. When everyone leaves, the mana'ika of questioning, they're going to come down. The angels who do the questioning, they're going to come down. And that's not all. Again, it's the first time you experience it. It's going to be scary for everyone. That's why there's Quran, right? give us ثبات. All right, in this life, uh, in the in the in the word in this life and in the next, which means the, in the questioning in the grave. Okay, and even it says that the Prophet ﷺ said the Saad bin Waath, his he shook, he was nervous. When he was first placed in the grave It's an experience Very similar to the soul coming out It's your first time There's going to be some nervousness Likewise When the grave collapses upon you It's going to be some nervousness Result of that Prophet ﷺ uh, The sahabi used to stay a little bit Linger A couple people should linger And they should recite some Quran And they should make dua for the person Okay Because then they're going to leave And then the questioning in the grave happens Questioning the grave, there's no lying in it. But you do have your intellect with you. Okay? You, you do have your, your mind with you. And Sayyidina Umar says, a or, Will we have our same minds that we have now? said, yes. That mind that you have now, that which you're thinking, you're conscious of yourself, of who you are, of what your name is, of the world around you, that consciousness never goes anywhere. It, it exists in a different form. It's not like you just disappear. So you're just out of your body. And in the grave now, Mala'ik are going to ask you questions, but you can't lie. There's no lying. There's not something just, I know the answer and that's it. So you're going to speak the truth. Munafiq is going to say, uh, the angels will ask you, what, who is your prophet? The Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, there's those who just followed. They didn't really think twice about their deen. They said, the people used to say, Allah is the creator. right?" Who is your prophet? He said, the people used to say, I don't know, but the people used to say Muhammad. The angels get extremely angry with him. He said, you didn't have an intellect and you never examined this serious question. This is a serious question. If someone told you there was a fire in the building, okay, and then you got burned, you, can't, you have no one to blame but yourself. Same thing the Prophet ﷺ is telling us there's a fire in the afterlife. If you get burned, you have no one to blame but yourself. You should have investigated. You can't get burned and, say, and then sue the person, well, you didn't sell me where. No. In any court of law, if you tell somebody there's a fire in the building, that's enough. They've done their job towards you. I don't have to tell you it's on the third floor. It's a kitchen fire. I don't have to tell you this. Enough that I tell you there's a fire in the building. So likewise, someone tells you there's a fire coming in the afterlife that could last forever. Now you go investigate. Some people, they want the Taoist gotta be, comes with uh, perfection, and it's every answer, question has to be answered. What else do you want it to come with like a masseuse as well? That's not how it works. It's enough that someone is telling you, your creator, who made this world, you're going to meet him in the afterlife. And the Prophet who came with this message is Muhammad, and the book he came with is the Qur'an. There's a heaven and a hell. It's up to you to investigate after that. So they get angry that you're just someone who just followed without any thinking at all. And we're saying followed without da'mal, without sincere practice. And when it comes to taqlid, which is just imitating the people, you can do that for everything in Islam except for one thing, which is the actual belief in Allah and His messenger. You have to know that for sure from yourself. That's got to be something that you take on, the belief in Allah and His messenger. As for that, how to pray, how to fast, you could just get a manual and follow that manual. Or go around, look and see, okay, this is what everyone's doing, looks good to me, the righteous people, let me follow them. Simple as that You can make taqlid in those matters But not in the essence of the aqidah So we're going to stop here for today This was We've taken it now to the grave After the question is answered correctly Then that grave opens up To become a garden of paradise And the people in the grave They live their own lives They move around To the ability of the strength of their spirit to the point that they could move around, and, and, and you're now living with people of the past, you're in the same place as them now, all right, you're living now uh, and able to move around, but those whose souls were weaker, they stay in their area, but nonetheless it is a paradise, and they experience pleasure in that, Na'im al- 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 al-Qabr it's called, and then there is Adab al-Qabr, which is the torment of the grave, namely that As Al-Ghazali says, the the anger, if a Muslim died with anger, that becomes a heat in his grave. If he died with backbiting, that becomes like a snake. If he was conniving, it becomes a snake in his grave. So his sins take on, forms in the grave, and he feels that. And he says that you will dig up the grave, you won't see these snakes, but they're all of the unseen. Everything is of the unseen. All right, let's stop here and take a, uh and today we're going to limit the questions to solely to uh this topic. We're going to limit all the questions solely to the uh uh afterlife and the graveyard. Uh, uh sorry, afterlife and life in the grave and death and the last moments of death. Anything related to to this type of subjects. All right, let's start it off with Ryan. What do you got? We got a lot of good
1: questions. No, okay. Someone asked, can the grave be a stage of purification?
0: Hey, Oz, could you come fix this thing? So purification starts in this life. The stages of purification, I mean, you can just zoom it in, fix it, it's a little bit crooked. Other way, other way. Yeah, and then zoom it in a bit. Yeah, there you go, so now it's even. The matters of the grave, of purification, it all starts in this life. Purification doesn't just start in the afterlife. In this life, purification begins. In this life, sicknesses are purification. Ibadah is purification. When you're struggling and you're doing your worship, you're purifying yourselves. The best purification is to purify yourself on your own rug, which means by your own deeds, by your own worship, Okay, by your own uh, uh, charity. Sadaqah is a great purification in sadaqah. In siyam, all these things. Uh, in avoiding temptations, great purification. It, if that doesn't happen, then old age becomes a purification. All the diseases. As one man, one old man, he, he gave a poem about old age that the scholars loved. They said he just summarized the whole thing. He says, when you're healthy, you're sick. Like old age. Like when you're healthy, you're sick. Like old age itself is a sickness. He said when there are people around, when you have company, you fall asleep in front of everybody when you try to sleep, you can't sleep. You're, you're like insomniac. Right? Uh, you still have pleasure, you still have desire, you still see a beautiful woman, and you have desire. But nobody desires you. Right? So, it's just misery. So, old age can be a severe misery for somebody. That's purification. Your death itself, as your soul is coming out of you, it can be really hard. That's purification. And in the, in the grave, Purification. So yes, the answer is all these are purification. Next question.
1: What are some signs of holy versus unholy deaths?
0: Uh, A good death and a bad death. Well, first of all, the state in which someone is in. If someone's in a state of istiqamah, they're constantly in submission to Allah, they're in ibadah, they're doing well. That's a good death. It's a good state to die upon. It's that simple. That's how simple it is of course martyrdom the question was what is the sign of a good death Uh, martyrdom of course we know is of three different categories okay the the one who dies in the battlefield the one who dies after having served the dean for his entire life thirdly is the categories of those who died very difficult deaths such as a building fell on him which includes a car crash Internal organ diseases such as cancers, and that's what they call muptun. Like your your digestive system killed you. In other words, like it burst. But they also added cancers and all these very difficult, harsh deaths: drowning, being burned in a fire, um, dying, uh, protecting your wealth and your property. So that's not even fisa beida, no. You're just a regular guy walking down the road. A a, a Muslim. We're talking about muslimin a Muslim walking down the road and someone tries to take your wallet and kills you, right? That's shahada. Okay? Only difference is that the first martyr, first category, the ones who die in the battlefields, they are not buried. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they're, they're not shrouded, washed, shrouded, or prayed upon. We treat them as if they're alive. We just bury them as is. If uh, let's let's continue with only subject Only questions on death questions. Let's hear it, go ahead So
1: are the shuhada in the barzakh Or do they go straight to Jannah?
0: Everyone's in the barzakh Are the shuhada in the barzakh? Everyone's, it's all barzakh Barzakh just means a middle abode That's literally the word barzakh It just means a middle abode Everyone is in the barzakh Only question simply being that um, uh, They're existence is superior to everyone else's existence as a martyr. Hey, could you, why don't you click that light on? It's at the bottom there. See. So okay, what see
1: happens in between the day that we die and the day of
0: judgment? Uh, what happens between the day we die and, and the day of judgment? A long existence, which we know very little about. And we can hear stories okay, about them. Uh, usually, those, these stories come through dreams that people had, etc. actually turned it off. Uh, that uh, But we, As Imam Haddad says It's very hard to fathom The existence as a soul Without a body we, ha- we can't really fathom what it's like But all we do know Is that We experience pleasure or pain And that's really That's the only thing that's important Right But we do Our, our intellects are with us You are who you are Even in those phases You got your mind with you And you're going to either experience pleasure or pain Next
1: is it possible for someone to die upon iman even if they haven't recited the kalima
0: physically, verbally? If it's possible, someone die upon iman even if they haven't recited the kalima for ver- verbali- verbally. They haven't verbalized the kalima. The answer to that is that if they refused to say la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, then they would not be considered. That then they they don't have iman. But if they simply uh, couldn't. Because they didn't know that they had to say the shahada, Then that they would have be upon iman Or if there was just nobody who would witness it Then yes We would not consider them Muslims In our law How we bury them etc But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would consider them mu'mineen If he had to keep it secret In order to save someone else's life It's possible Then uh, Or save his own life then uh, in the sight of Allah, he can be considered a mu'min, but for us, we still consider him legally not a believer
1: Can you explain the state of the prophets salam, in, in the grave? In the Are states
0: th- of the prophets in the grave? Physical
1: too? Is it physical body or soul?
0: It, Allahu alam about the states of the prophets in the grave is a very vast thing and it's greater than their states in this life You know, that's all we can say about it. It's it's extremely vast and it's greater than their state in this life without a doubt for the simple reason, the Quran itself says, um, <laughs> the, "What is to come for you is always better than what is what is past." Let's take one from Instagram here. Can uh, you dig up a body and take it to a different country? makruh unless only there's a, if there's a reason. If there's a threat that people will, will desecrate that grave, then yes. But if there's no such threat, then you shouldn't do that. There should be no reason to do that. There has to be. You know, A reason Someone passes away And he has a mortgage And then it's taken on Does that count as an unpaid debt? No It's transmitted Because the The debt You're not like Ripping off the people Your next generation Will keep paying it If I understand correctly It's passed on Can you dig up about who said this How can a person You pray for your grandparents You can pray for anyone Who died upon Islam With any words of dua May Allah make their grave fast. May Allah make their abode in, in the afterlife better than their abode in this life and give them company in the next life better than the company of this life. Uh, any type of dua and any type of charity that you can give and it goes to their behalf. You, you intend the reward for them. Is Malik al-Maut only takes the the the, the, the 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 souls or does he have a troop of angels helping him? Allah knows best but it seems that he does it himself. Can you take... Uh, okay. Next question.
1: Would a non-Muslim teenager, someone who did reach puberty, but they died without being exposed to Islam, be held accountable for Anyone that. Anyone
0: who died without being exposed to the message is considered a person of paradise in the aqeed of Ahl-Sunnah Al-Jama'ah. Okay. Without a doubt, based upon وَمَا Kunna مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبْعَثَ رَسُولَهُ Go ask around. That is the opinion of Ahl-Sunnah on those who die without having received the message. Aliyah says, can you, someone backbite it, but they may tawbah. Uh, will it come back to, against them? No. At-ta'ibu min The one who penetite, repents from a sin is if he has no sins. He's treated as if he has no sins, if you repented from it. How do we work towards husn al-khatimah when we are so distracted and un, also unknowingly participating in sins? You, you get husn al you work on husn al-khatimah by worrying about your now. Tomorrow may be the end. Every, treating every day as if it's the end. Next question, right?
1: Why can you not mourn for over three days after someone passes?
0: Why can you not mourn for over three days after somebody passes? Uh, there's no such necessarily rule like this that you cannot be sad for over three days. But uh, it is usually as a, from, from my understanding, as a custom. And it it may have come in some hadith and some fiqh that you don't do azat for somebody after the third day. And Allah knows best, but I never saw that this is a hard and fast rule that you cannot um, uh, give your condolences to somebody after three days who lost a loved one or that you can't be sad for after three days. I never saw that that's a hard and fast rule anywhere. That doesn't mean I'm right about that, but we could look it up, but I've never seen that.
1: Next are those who enter Jannah allowed to bring anyone they want, including non-Muslims?
0: When you enter Jannah, can you bring anyone you want, including non-believers? You can bring in who you want, whom Allah Ta'ala allows for you to bring in. This is in Ayatul Kursi. illa You don't give shafa'ah to anyone except Allah permits you. So he may say you have 10 people from your family, meaning from the Muslims of your family. You have 100 people from the people of your town, meaning from the mu'minin of your town. Question, what happens if a soul is never buried? Does their soul still linger? I've heard some people say that the answer is yes And Allah knows best about that If a person dies in a desert, for example And he's never buried Allahu Adam, what happens to them? Okay, next question
1: Someone says One of his cousins was murdered recently He came into the dream of another cousin And asked him to write his name Among the dead people Basically he maintained a list of the deaths in his family What is that a,
0: a person was killed, and then he asked his. A person was killed, and then he came to a re- relative in a dream and said, "Put me in the list of those who had died." So maybe he hadn't listed him as those who had died, right? Allah Adam. and uh, maybe it's also an ishada that he didn't die shaheed He may have been killed, but maybe it doesn't count as shaheed Allah alam Allah alam what that means? Uh, is there benefit of dying in Medina tul munawwarah Of course, there is. Of course. They pray janazah upon you there, and no doubt about that. All right. Why do non-Muslims sometimes see angels or light or the afterlife when they experience a temporary death? Um, I don't have an answer to that. Why they do? Because maybe if there is something called a temporary death, but maybe it's more like... There is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ said that people would die and come back. In other words, a soul will come out a little bit and come back. And we said that every time... Someone dies, that they will, their soul will go straight up to the Arsh uh, of Allah and prostrate. And then come back down. So maybe that's what they're experiencing. Allah alam. But nonetheless, those types of experiences will not justify a theology. Will not be the basis of a theology being true or false. That's the important part. As for the explanation of does that happen? Does it not happen? Etc. Why does it happen? Is irrelevant. The most relevant thing to us that touches our practical lives is: Do we believe that that is a, uh, a testament to the truth of everything they say? The answer is no. Just so you have a good, a wonderful experience. That that would not be a testament that your theology book or whatever you follow is the truth. The theology and truth about belief is going to be deduced by transmission and reason. Next.
1: Question from Reza Ramzan. Mm-hmm. What if parents do not want to distribute the inheritance according to the Sharia?
0: What if parents don't want to distribute the inheritance according to the Sharia? You have a will, and you get a lawyer, and he becomes the executor of your will as you want it. It's your money. Do your parents reach into your pocket now while you're alive? Then how do they? Re- then you have to. You stop them, right? You would stop them. So likewise, after death, it's your money. But if he's talking about their own money. Let's say he's talking about their own money. Maybe I misunderstood his question. If he's talking about their their money, that they are going to to distribute the irth according to their own way, the inheritance of their own way. So we would say, it's upon you, one time at the very minimum, to tell everybody this is haram, you have to distribute it according to the sharia. So if if I calculate my value was, I should have received $10,000, but I received $100,000, all right, I have to distribute that ninety thousand where it belongs to the other inheritors. I have to give it to them. Okay. Uh if if I was my right was fifty thousand dollars, but I got twenty thousand dollars, then there's nothing I can do about it. You just say once in general, everybody, you must distribute it according to the Sharia, and here's the portions. This stuff is not rocket science. Inheritance only some of the questions get thorny, but after that, the, the 95% of all inheritance cases are, you, from memory, you can give the answer to. Okay. And you say, here it is, this is how it should be distributed, and, um, and that's it. It's up to you after that. Next question.
1: If a Muslim's non-Muslim parent dies and they mention that they want to be cremated several times, what should the Muslim do?
0: If a non—that's why I said—if a non-Muslim says he's not a parent says, "When I die, I want you to cremate me," what do I do? Well, very quite simply, that's why we said earlier the the last will and testament that a person leaves is non-binding. The will, of course, it's non-binding insofar as it's outside the Sharia. Okay. It's, it, for example, man says, when you die, I don't want you to, to move to Texas. Right? If I die, I want you to stay and live in this house. Okay? None of that's binding. You can't tell somebody what to do, firstly, if they're an adult in this life, let alone when you're dead. You can't tell them what to do. So they're not binding. And it, is har- it would be haram for, let's say, a Hindu convert to cremate his mom or his dad. What you do is you just bury them regularly you you wouldn't give you whether you wrap whether you want you would not wash them and wrap them in the way that they resemble a muslim you would not do that you would just bury them okay in the the, the graveyard of the non-muslims that's it there will be no they would not would not have the rights that resembles a mu'min you can wrap them up fine okay but it should be something distinct it won't be the a full wash and a white wrapping as if this person is a muslim no because there has to be some difference so you could wrap them or you put them in a box and then in the state of new jersey you have to have the box unfortunately the casket and you put the casket down not unfortunately it's just it's not the thing that in the past we never did this you just buried the person as is but today you bury them in a box in a casket next uh, yes um, so
1: if your parent dies in a
0: If your parent dies a non Muslim, can you make the dua in the Quran? The answer is you can recite the verse of Quran, of course, but you cannot make dua for a non believer. We don't make dua for a non believer. Many people get upset by this. Why? He didn't want it. Islam was right in front of him. He didn't take it. So don't force it upon him after his death. He doesn't want your Jannah. He doesn't believe in it. So why do you ask for Allah to give it to him? So in the same way that we all love the, the concept Oh that we don't force our religion on anyone Okay after death it's the same thing So he didn't want it And then Allah Ta'ala Maybe out of his mercy uh, That du'a sometimes can be answered Du'as in general We know du'as are answered So he'll tell you which du'a not to say Because he doesn't want to answer that Simple as that Is cancer a type of martyrdom The, 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 the ulema say yes It is considered a death of shahada. Because Imam An-Nawi in his sharh on this hadith, he says, it's the shiddah and the, 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 the gruesomeness of the death. So anyone who dies of a se- severe type of harsh sickness, it counts as shahad. Next. What is the
1: difference between the Samawat and Jannah?
0: Uh, the Samawat and Jannah, what's the difference between them is that the Samawat are abodes above us that are not the paradise of reward. Paradise of reward, its gates are shut until it's opened in the afterlife, after the judgment. Are they
1: going to be turned to dust on the day
0: of judgment? Though? Who? The Samawat. Like the the Samawat, are they going to be turned to dust? No, I never saw that. That's There's no such nus that says that the heavens will be turned to dust.
1: Hmm. Oh, actually
0: in Surah Zumar it says they'll be folded within. his right hand. Okay. Yes. biamine. So, fold it up. Fold it up. So not exactly turned to dust, but close to that. Fold it up. Samawat مَطْوِيَّاتُمْ بِأَمِينَةِ Russell Shudri says, Can the spirits of the dead communicate with us or see us? And the answer is yes, to the degree that Allah allows it. Next question.
1: Can you make dua for those who died without receiving the message of Islam?
0: Can you make dua for those who died without... Outs, uh, having ever received the message of Islam And the answer is لا So the, the, those who never received the message of Islam uh, uh, The ruling about them Is that they are Treated legally as non-believers Even though in the sight of Allah There are people who are forgiven and enter Jannah But we legally, for legal purposes They are treated as non-believers Does the soul have connection with the body? Yes, there is a, some kind of connection With the body And Allah knows best what the nature of it is uh, Triple H, may Allah give you Shifa ajil. Uh Best books on the afterlife Well, Imam Al-Ghazali's Book of Death and Afterlife Number 1 And then the the Opening of the Hearts Number 2 You should get the book Opening of the Hearts and There you can get them both online Can a person be punished in the grave For a short period then experience bliss The answer is yes If he's, if he's purified in his grave, khalas Ali says, can those who have passed away in the company of the Prophet ﷺ or Prophets before the Day of Judgment, i.e. I- in the Barzakh. Yes, you can be in the company of the Prophet or other Prophets or other people in the past in the Barzakh, even if you haven't seen them in this life. Do you know Imam Ahl-Sunnah, Imam Ahmad Ridha Khan of India? I know him and love him. Uh, Muhammad says, when we sleep and our soul leaves the body are some of the dreams we see with the soul experiencing Alam al Arwah. If it is a symbolic dream, yes. If it is just a thoughts of the mind, the Prophet called that uh, just adghath ahlam and hadith in nafs The Prophet described the dreams in three categories. And if it's scary, uh, in the sense of it's a nightmare, then that's from shaitan. So the, the, the true dream is that dream which comes in a symbolic form, in a coded language. All right, Ryan, you're up. What can we do for a family member who dies in a bad state, maybe they weren't practicing or they fell into a lot of sins if a family member is a Muslim they died in a bad state and fell into a lot of sins then they're, you're, they really need your dua and you could recite Quran and, and gift that recitation to them and you can give sadaqa and gift the reward of that to them when we say that we mean gifting the reward I asked a specialist in the field and he said to stay away from astral projecting as it exposes you to shayateen uh, this ha- okay. This was some other conversation astral projecting. I don't even know what that is sounds like witchcraft or something I'm t- didn't I tell you all this stuff is making a comeback because they realize atheism is boring right so we need Hindu, something Hindu It's uh, all where are they gonna get that it. Yeah, where are they going where else are they gonna get? Uh, non-monotheistic no responsibility no law no hellfire right no judgment spirituality. That's what they want we believe there's a dark spirituality. It's not all spirituality is good. There is dark spirituality. There's an abode of darkness and there's an abode of light in the unseen. You can tap into the abode of darkness, and amazing things will happen to you. But it's all darkness, right? You'll see, oh, oh, this stuff happened. Yeah, stuff did happen, but that doesn't mean stuff, good stuff happens. Not good, right? It's like using a phone, right? I could push any bunch of numbers here, and I will get somebody on the other line that doesn't mean the conversation's good, right? I may get a, end up with a massive bill, right? All right, next. What are
1: the signs of a person who is in a good
0: state after they've been buried? What is the sign of a person in a good state after they've been buried? Is that the people make dua for him. That the people remember him in goodness. That's a great sign, right? That you remember them in goodness. That you remember to make dua for them. Who's putting that in your mind, Right? That's a sign of a great state that a person's in. Okay, next.
1: Should we fear death? What should we do if we feel anxious about it? And
0: what are the best acts
1: to do in order to have a good akhirah?
0: The best act to do in a good akhirah is to recite the Qur'an. We, yes, we can fear death if, we, if it's the type of fear That I don't feel like I'm ready And I feel like I won't have my, my best deeds with me If it's the fear of death Because I'm afraid to lose all my pleasures Of hayat al-dunya Then that's bad that's, not, that's, the, that's the fear of death that's bad Aliyah says Is it sinful if the ghus is not done properly? The answer is yes It's fard kifaya It's a communal obligation Everyone in your community group In the masjid Somebody needs To know how to bury the dead It's no discussion. Secondly, how can a Muslim not know how to do ghusl? Right? How do you pray yourself? After Haydnifes or Jinaba? Ghusl is ghusl. Ghusl al is ghusl al Right? It's a full wash of the body. You cover the awra. You do have to do, you do have to press the intestines and release anything that's in the stomach. Okay? And you have to wash the body. A ghusl. And then, we know how to cover our body with clothes, right? So likewise, wrap up the body with clothes. Okay, uh, Wrap up the body with sheets. And by the way, any wrapping is sufficient, but the prophet loved the white. Okay? If you dress a person in clothes, pants, and a shirt, right? that's wrapping. But this is not the custom, it's not the norm. That's for those who don't have anything. We have white sheets, it's not different. So, so this stuff is not that difficult, we should all learn this stuff. Next question.
1: If our parents do not distribute wirasa of their parents, then are we eating haram? So repeat. If our parents do not distribute wirasa of their parents, then are we eating haram?
0: If their parents, if your parent inherited improperly, right? If your parent inherited improperly, they are eating haram, but you're not. Why? Because the sharia only takes into account one link of the transmission of wealth. So, if I give you a gift, that's a gift. It's halal to accept a gift. If your mom puts uh, food on the table, that's food on the table, right? For you, it's a reception of a gift, right? But for her, it's haram. Because she took wealth that didn't belong to her. That's the most generous way of looking at it because the Sharia does not take into consideration the uh, two links, takes in consideration one link. One link in the transmission of wealth. Uh, next question says, as Can you explain about the hadith about finishing the Qur'an in 40 nights? I've never seen in the Sharia or the Sunnah any concept of the 40. Have you, Olian? No. The idea that there's... Uh, finish the Qur'an in 40 nights for the deceased and then have another gathering for the 40. So I'd never seen that there's anything specific about the 40. Except if you are in the masjid for 40 times 40 in a row, right? 40 salat in, in a row, 40 days in a row. Yes, yes, there is a hadith that's for the living, right? That it's for the living that it's um, to be, to, to attain to to be there for the takbirat al-ihram, the opening takbir of the prayer, for 40 days in a row, not missing one. That's 200 takbirat al-ihram in a row. Then there is a reward that it's a massive reward. I can't remember what the reward is, but it's a massive reward. What
1: about, uh, isn't there that hadith though, your Quran recitation will appear to you as a
0: pale man? As a uh, Quranic recitations, your salah... Your siyam, your sadaqah in the barzakh will appear to you as company, it'll keep you company. And it'll be something that keeps you from being lonely in the grave. Someone, okay, next question. This is about visiting visit of the doctor. Thank you very much. Alhamdulillah, it went well. I'm going to have a couple more doctor visits have to do with family. Right, which I have to take parents to doctors, So just in case we don't have streams, these, I take these streams very seriously, but there are certain things that are, I guess you could say, more serious. So just excuse me for that. Uh, in the month of March, I probably would miss one or two streams. And that's what happens at a certain age when you're, uh, you have to start tending to your parents. Does the kalima before death remove the punishment of the grave? It removes a lot of sins, and anyone who is muwaffaq, who has the tawfiq, to be saying, la ilaha illallah, and we in the Qur'an, and saying good words before death, that is a very good sign of the forgiveness of their sins. Naj Zaf says, what if someone has dementia? Wouldn't have prayed a lot towards the end of their life. So once someone enters dementia, their their book is closed. Their book of deeds is closed. Okay. You just help them with a dua afterwards. And that
1: be purification?
0: And, and it is a purification for sure. To, to literally like lose yourself. Because dementia, you're... Your your body's here, but you're you're not. Okay. If someone wasn't practicing prior death, necessitate punishment. If someone died upon ghafla, they need your dua a lot because that's not a good death. Why is what is called talqeen after burying something? No. Talqeen is to have people say La إلا illallah. And it is before their death. It's not after their death. The word talqeen is like literally say this and they say that. And you should not do this actually because um, if, they, if they're like too tired to say the Karimah, you may think that they're like cursed or something. So you shouldn't force them to say it, but you yourself should say it. La ilaha illallah. Can we pray behind deviance for janazah? No. no. We don't ex- believe that their ibadah is accepted. Uh, yeah. What's the schedule for our live streams, Monday through Thursday, 1.30 p.m.? And we usually go to 2.30, 3 o'clock. Ryan, your question. And they're all posted on YouTube afterwards. Uh, you have to go to live or you go to the Nothing But Facts uh, playlist. Ryan, you're up.
1: Um, this question I guess it's kind of an impossibility, but theoretically, if someone were to take their shahada and die without telling anyone Mm -hmm. that they're Muslim, what what would they be considered as?
0: If someone uh, took the shahada and died without any of us knowing, so this is obviously theoretical because we would never know, they are Muslims with Allah and mu'mineen with Allah, but we as a community, since we don't know that they took shahada, we would not treat them legally as a Muslim. So there is a difference between the way we treat people legally because we have limited knowledge and what Allah knows. Okay. Next question.
1: Can you pray for a non-practicing Muslim after death, like fully non-practicing?
0: Fully non-practicing Muslim after his death? Yeah. I believe that we should make dua for them if Allah inspires you to because they need it more than anybody else. al 26 says... Uh, what does it mean that Allah says he changes your, ba- your, your, your sins into good deeds? It means that The sign of that is that you use what you learned in the time of sins To help other people who are in those sins That's one of the signs of those things okay? That's a sign that Allah is transforming your good deeds into sins uh, uh, Sorry, the opposite, your sins into good deeds Okay, Next question
1: What is the position of the Ash'ari school on time spent in hell for the inhabitants? Is it eternal or temporary?
0: Time spent in hell for the mu'min, the believer in Allah, is temporary. Because sins are temporary, beliefs are permanent. When you commit a sin, you're only committing it at that moment. But when you take on a belief, you're intending for that belief to be permanent. I am Hamid says, I don't have words, Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm from Germany, mashallah. It's after Esha time in Germany, so make dua for us. In Germany, it's already, uh, what's today's day? It's Tuesday, so it's going to be Wednesday tomorrow. Next question.
1: We have a brother in, uh, in Mecca. He said he's making dua for us.
0: That's good. We need a lot of dua, and don't, dua is more important than anything else. We need dua as much as possible at this time, and don't ever underestimate the power of, of, of dua. Pasha International sounds like a really cool brand. Alright, he says My understanding is that only, only person Who will not be worried on the day of judgment Is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Is it true? And can a person be so good in this life That Allah removes this panic It is possible and true That the panic of a person Is so minimized Okay That it's forgotten very quickly Such as Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. It is possible But the one who will have absolutely no panic Is two The Prophet Sallallahu sallam, And Sayyidina Musa Sayyidina Musa he has already fainted in this life remember in this in this ayah in which we asked allah to see allah and then when if when the mount when he when he to the mountain then he passed away uh, he passed out and that uh, fainting has replaced his fear of the in the afterlife so he is resurrected with no fear also also say Isa bin maryam Peace be upon me. Okay. The day I'm born, the day I die, and the day I'm resurrected, which means all the three transitions. And Sayyidina Yahya, same thing is said about him. So, yes, there are many. There are many. Okay. The the difference uh, is that Sayyidina Isa said it about himself. Allah said it about Sayyidina Yahya. Okay. Next question.
1: Someone said in Afghanistan, the. Uh, shuhada, they're men, they're buried with their clothes on without being washed that's correct and then the, I,
0: the only the those who die in battle yeah only the only martyrs that are not washed shrouded or preyed upon are those who die in battle what's your opinion on Sheikh Sayyid Muhammad Alawi Al-Maliki very very good opinion and we read all his books and study his books and I spent a summer studying with him alhamdulillah it was a great summer and he's an amazing he was an amazing scholar and amazing man and the best company you could ever be with so you go with some shiuch and you hear how big he's such a big sheikh and you go and you expect to see everybody sitting like this right that's what you expect not to say it's they just call him a Sayed right not his gatherings his gatherings were loud, boisterous there was it was just not his hadith gathering. His hadith class was his hadith class. But his, his casual sit-down between Maghrib and Aisha, I just liked to, he liked to laugh. He liked to have fun. He was outgoing. He was boisterous. Even the cab driver, right? The cab driver says to me, why are you going to this man's house? He's a mubtada. He's a man of bid'ah, right? But we still love him, right? I said, well, why? why? He said, I saw him one time in the store. In a regular shop. And uh, I said, I'm going to say the word of truth. And he said, Why do you speak of the Mawlid?" Sibida. Okay. He said, I expected a big fight. And instead, I ended up uh, leaving the store laughing. Right? And I still didn't change my opinion, he said. But he ends up, he found a way, he just, he had such a, 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 a great spirit about him that even his enemies... In Saudi, like the local common folks who, who didn't like him, they didn't have bad things to say about him. Right? Except that they just thought he was an innovator, right? <laughs> Which I guess is pretty bad. But nonetheless, he was the lion of the Ashairah and of Ahl Sunnah, and his father was the Sheikh of the school of uh, his father was the Sheikh of the college in Mecca, right? Halawi ibn Abbas <laughs> al Maliki. His, he was the rector The son teaches nothing different than the father So what happened? The regime changed That's all And he has books translated Mafahim yajib and Matters that need to be corrected okay. Ideas that need to be corrected uh, it's, it's, um, it's published and translated Next question
1: Does salawat upon the Prophet Wasallam help us in the grave?
0: Salat on the Prophet ﷺ Of course it helps you in the grave No, no doubt about it and this question is, are you California time? No, we're, we're in New Jersey. So we're East Coast time. So uh, we are three hours ahead of California. And I think six hours after England. A person died, according to one act says, one act says, uh, he has many qada, prayers, or fasts. Can we give fidya of his prayers and fasts? The answer is yes for the fasts, and seek his forgiveness for the prayers there's no fidya for for fasting but you can give general sadaqa I guess but you would give fidya for his fasts and I don't know in the Hanafi school did they teach anything about that can you make up someone's fard for them you cannot right you can can give the fidya for the fast but hmm. next question
1: I'm going to combine two questions now so the first one is like, what's is is there any significance if someone's grave marker was removed? And then the other one, will you ask, what's the opinion on raised graves? So like, how much does a physical grave have impact on the person in it?
0: Okay, the opinion about if someone's grave marker was removed, we would say about that, we don't believe in bad omens in Islam, we do not accept any bad omens, right? Let's say a couple is going to get married, right, and you know, right when they're saying the marriage statement, a bird, you know, releases droppings on them, right? We don't go by that. We go by what's happening in the real world and what the Sharia says. If your mother's not happy with you, maybe that's a reflection of something else. If you stole this bride from somebody else, maybe that's a reflection of that. But we don't go by bad omens and get nervous and get scared. We don't go by bad omens. As for the question of raise graves, no, it's not good to raise the grave, in the majority opinion. But some ulama have said that number one, if it's to mark the grave, and number two, it, if it is for scholars to honor the scholars in the Shafi'i Madhab, they allow that to to honor the scholars, and that's what they told me in in Yemen, and um, and they observe that in Egypt too, and I think all the countries, and the. Um, Issue of writing Qur'an on graves, if it's flat or low, it's makruh Because then birds can drop on it, frogs can jump on it. It's not respectable for the Qur'an to ever be low. So that's why in the past, you 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 don't necessarily do that, put Qur'an in a low spot. Even dhikrullah, the name of Allah should never be low. Can you send salah and Salam and ask that to be granted as a gift for the Prophet Yes, of course it is not, it, No, is it, not, is it shirk? No, it's not shirk It's permissible of course It's permissible to do that Next question What is the
1: ruling on doing good deeds For example, sadaqa jariyah On behalf of the deceased
0: the, the, Giving sadaqa jariyah For the deceased yeah. They have to be Muslim And it's a very good deed Let's take one more
1: Mm. Alright, we'll end on this Mm -hmm. What is the best du'a Or surahs to recite When visiting the graves
0: What is the best du'a and surah to recite When visiting the graves We're going to say that There is no specific surah To recite Okay Iqra'u yaseen ala mawtaakum Is a weak hadith Recite yaseen upon your dead But if if you consider that He's dead or dying Right, some of them said it means those who are dying, recite to them Surah Yasin. Others that if they are dead, okay, uh, uh, recite Yasin upon them. And so customarily we do see a lot of people reciting Yasin for that reason, based upon that hadith. But there's no specific surah that you have to, or that is superior uh, to recite. And dua for rahmah in their grave, dua for mercy in their grave. Any positive thing for their, in their grave. Yeah. The role of Surah Al-Mulk is that when, if we recite it at night time, it comes to us in the grave. As the reward of it comes to us in the grave and uh, uh, helps us in the grave. In other words, against the constriction of the grave. Thank you all very much. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this from us and may Allah ta'ala accept it all uh, uh, of the nice things that you said in the dua that you said. And if anybody has been... Um, in need of dua, is sick, we ask Allah ta'ala to give them a speedy shifa. We ask Allah for all those who have recently passed away, that Allah give them jannatul firdaus And may Allah guide our parents and give them, uh, make their last days the best of their days. And may Allah ta'ala give their, uh, uh, enter them into Jannah without any hisab, and make their life in the grave easy, make their death easy, and make their graves vast. We ask Allah ta'ala to answer all of our dua, and to give us strength, and to give us wisdom, and to increase us in knowledge. Lastly, we ask that none be more beloved to us than His most beloved, Sayyidina Konein, Sayyidna Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alamin. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.